Welcome to episode number 51 and another installment of Direct Connections. This time around, we have returning guests Chuck and Matt McMurray. You hear me talking about their work nearly every show with HemiPages.com, ReadyChassis.shop, and of course, the Build Mopar project. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're about to get up to speed. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopar's Direct Connections. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Ladies and gentlemen, back again, Chuck for the third time, Matt for the second time. I have the McMurray's, the brains behind the Build Mopar Project, HemiPages.com, and ReadyChassis.shop. Guys, welcome back to the show. How are you guys doing? Good. Very good. Thanks for having us, Chris. Appreciate it. Doing well. Thank awesome. you for having yeah. us. Oh, definitely. You guys are making some power moves in the world of Mopar, and I'm really excited about your current project, which is the Build Mopar Project. I've been talking about it as much as I can because I'm so excited about it. But for those that aren't familiar with the Build Mopar project, tell us what that's about. Sure. So earlier this year, um, especially with all of the political upheaval and everybody being locked in their house and most drag strips being closed, we felt like we really wanted to do something different for um, the, the drag racing and Mopar audience, but for the most part, people that like to build and and really race Mopars. And so we came up with what we called the V8 vote or the um, cooperative car build, which uh, which we originally uh, named Democracy on Slicks, but uh, we, we stuck with the build Mopar. Uh, but the concept being that uh, consumers, enthusiasts could vote on uh, roughly 10 to 11, 11 different stages of the build uh, of a car that we would campaign uh, in 2021. So the only thing we really had going into it was nominations by the vendors of what they thought, you know, the four cars should be and uh, what the racing sanctioned bodies should be that we participated in. And from there, it's been uh, enthusiast votes many times in the hundreds. And we're through, uh, I think, six votes now. So it's uh, it's getting interesting. We're, we're now getting into the technical aspects of um, picking drive lines and uh, setting the car up for uh, things that are really going to define how it runs and type of fuel that it uses in that. So it's really interesting. So the, the way that it's worked is about every two or three weeks, we release a new vote and we do various marketing events to uh, get the campaign out there, make the poll available, and then uh, people vote. Uh, for example, right now we're at the, uh, the engine build uh, vote where they're picking uh, the enthusiasts are picking the shop that they want to see build the engine. Uh, previous to that was the supercharge, the uh, the power adder pick, and that uh, the win went to the uh, Whipple supercharger. So we're starting to define some of the more mechanical things, but uh, it's been a really fun project. We're getting a lot of feedback. We actually get a lot of questions emailed to us, and it's just been fun to be able to interact with the audience. and And there's some surprises in there too that. Uh, that I never expected. So that's been been a lot of fun to see what people really think and what they vote on for each phase of the car. Awesome. What kind of questions are you getting about the car? 
so, um, you know, even though we've published that we're going to be running it in the modern street Hemi shootout, people have asked us what class uh, that, that we're planning on running in, you know, what kind of fuel we're planning on running, um, how big the tires will be, uh, you know, before. It's funny, a lot of the things that they drill into are the questions that uh, are going to get answered when the next votes come up. So they were asking us what engine shop. You know, will we be running a, a Mopar transmission or not? Will we be running a Dana or an eight and three quarter or not? You know, what's the size of the rear tires? Uh, and then, of course, we get <laughs> free unsolicited advice, uh, which we knew we would get with, uh, you know, what we think we uh, what what folks think we should be doing sure, uh, and things like that. So it's it's been good. It's it's educating, uh, given that we've got a company that's going to be continuing to build cars far after this campaign is over. And uh, so this is actually serving as kind of a prototype for one of the A bodies we'll be offering uh, as it, as it graduates to the, you know, final stages. Right on. So this is going to be a package that uh ready chassis will be able to provide to people that, you know, want to go fast. Correct. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We'll have it in, we'll have it in three different formats, really. Well, actually four, I should say one is we'll, We'll be publishing a book, a manual on how to how to build the exact same car using the same package and some of the things that we faced in the process. You'll be able to build a, uh, a, a or buy a, a rolling chassis that is painted and essentially built without driveline. Um, and then you'll be able to get a, a relatively finished car with driveline and uh, maybe leaving some of that, uh, some of the details out, like safety belts and parachutes and things like that, or the completely assembled, turnkey and tested, uh, ready to rock version of uh, of this same car. So, uh, and and we'll probably offer popular colors as well as the factory swatches that are available. Awesome. Now I know that we've talked in the past about ready chassis, but once again, for those that don't know or aren't aware of your other little project, your other business, why don't you fill in the listeners uh, about Ready Chassis and what it's all about? Sure. So years ago, we um, we decided that, um, you know, there's a, a lot of really cool drive lines that, that Mopar is bringing to market. And and quite frankly, a lot of cool late model drive lines that, that the other makes are bringing to market as well. And um, what we really saw was a lack of a good racing chassis that was built off of a vintage and modern cars. So think of, think of a rolling chassis drag pack. Um, there doesn't seem to be an option out there for somebody that's got the engine and trans and really wants to get out of either, you know, a rust bucket of a race car or something with an old outdated cage. And we felt like offering really nice, nicely restored race durations. That's what we call them. <laughs> so they're restored, restored, um, you know, not, they're not concours restorations or anything. And we're not, you know, we're not cutting up 340 cars, but uh, offering a, a nice uh, rolling chassis uh, that is essentially ready for multiple engines. So if you take, if you take something like a restoration shop and the flexibility of, if you've, if you know anything about factory five and what they did with, uh, you know, the Mustang parts market and the AC Cobra, that's what we really want to bring to market uh, for Mopar. And then as it expands, we'll probably offer something for Mustang just because we know the audience is so large and, and that oh, we, yeah. we'd want to be able to capture it. But we, uh, we're Mopar guys at heart. So we'll, we'll be there. We'll start there uh, and continue there for quite some time. And I've built, geez, I've probably built 
30 or 40 cars in the last 30 years um <laughs> they've bought and sold so i'm not new to it whatsoever and uh we're just what we're working to do now is bring a lot of things in house so that we can offer a very competitive uh price because i don't i don't want it to be a ninety thousand dollar chassis I'd, I'd really like to get the forty to sixty thousand dollar range out there for guys that you know want to have a pretty serious race car that's practically turnkey if not turnkey depending on their options and uh make it affordable because i think quantity counts and i think that's what'll keep drag racing uh the grassroots part of it around for a long time absolutely i agree 100 percent, and especially you know i've actually become a little bit obsessed lately with all these street racing videos that i've been seeing on youtube and not just you know you see the street outlaws and whatnot on tv but i'm talking about the real like that grassroots like you know cash days and things like that that are going on you know off the tv but on youtube and there's some pretty interesting cars but one thing that i always wish i saw more of was mopars so it'll be interesting to see you know with a resource like ready chassis if more people you know get into mopar chassis which would be really nice um there is one mopar i'm not sure if you guys are aware or have heard but uh project tetanus have you guys heard about that one yeah the, the roadrunner yeah. yeah yeah that kind of stuff is really cool to me and i think it would be awesome um to see more mopars out there because you always see the fox bodies the fox bodies are just they're dominating out there on the streets and you know sure. mopar old mopars they're heavy but i think that uh with the right build the right chassis i think that they can be quite competitive especially when you take into account the third generation Hemi and all the developments that have been happening over the past few years with that platform. I think it's, I think it's going to be really big for street racing and, you know, obviously can't condone street racing, but stay safe and go to the track. Um, I'm really excited about that, but let's get back to build Mopar. Now that we know about ready chassis and what you guys will provide with that, the build Mopar dart called the mm -hmm. dart pack. Now, the Hemi that you guys are putting in, so the idea is basically a super stock tribute car. It's a 68 Dodge Dart that has one interesting feature, and that's the modern Hemi swap versus the second generation Hemi. So tell us what engine you guys are going to base this build on. Sure. So uh, it's going to be a 426 cubic inch uh, based BEG or BG E block, uh, which is the big gas uh, block that Mopar offers. You can go down to a dealership and buy a replacement block now. Um, so it'll be a 426 uh, cube stroker version of that block. Uh, the vote um, that is open right now that'll close uh, on the 24th at midnight is for the six shops uh, that we have uh, given, uh, you know, as as uh, nominations, as choices to the voters. And so right now, uh, Arrington has 81 votes and they are leading the pack. Uh, Hughes Engines is second, uh, MMX is third, BES Racing is fourth. Uh, Opel Engineering, who was a favorite of mine and I had to throw in there because he built my last engine, is, uh, is fifth and um, prestige motorsports is sixth and so the way that we actually created the nomination is I, I did a small 200 person vote i put up about 10 shops and and um 
with the exception of Opel, those were the shops that uh, that came up. And so I threw uh, Ted's business in there just to to make it interesting. A lot of people don't know uh, Opel Engineering actually built a lot of the uh, um, super stock and pro stock engines. Uh, actually, he was part of, I believe, Glidden and a lot of the other ones in the 90s. And so he had a lot of innate knowledge of of the Hemi 99 program as well as the the pro stock program. And so um, I felt like he'd be a really good contender. Great guy, also local to us. Uh, Hughes Engines isn't too far from us either. BES Engines is Indianapolis, kind of a drive. Arrington's probably the, the furthest being in Michigan. Uh, but I actually have met and have talked to Mike Copeland many times and, and really like some of the things that he's offered. And he's actually got a crate engine. Um, I'm The only shop that I've actually not, the two shops I've not worked with was MMX and Prestige Motorsports. Although with Hemi Pages, Prestige Motorsports reached out to us and had uh, a number of conversations. So they're not uh, <clears throat> unfamiliar with us. But but the uh, the engine will have uh, Thytech heads. It'll have a... Uh, uh, from what I've gathered from the shop's recommendations, a ProFlow EFI. And then uh, I've also talked to Troy Aves, who is a person who was very generous with his information and gave me a lot of, uh, you know, uh, tribal knowledge around what he learned from building that crazy yellow dart that, that he's racing. And um, really got a lot of information around ethanol and... Uh, what he's done in his dual fuel system and some other things that that actually make this a street worthy car uh but a killer car at the track and if you've kept up with some of the times and things that he's run uh he's just got an incredible platform so i've got a lot more information around you know that build and um everybody's been really helpful i mean uh whipple in reaching out to them they were incredibly responsive um gave us a couple of different head unit options. And of course, you know, right as we got the Whipple vote completed, the uh, Mopar drag pack was announced with the three liter Whipple. And then just recently I saw that Jeff Turk was doing some testing and squeezed uh, 1700 plus horsepower out of a uh, identical 2020 drag pack aluminum engine, which was pretty insane, that I think he ran at Moparty uh, this last weekend. So, uh, I don't know how easy it would be to get that three liter on, a, you know, in our hands, but, uh, I think Whipple's willing to work with us. So it'll be very exciting. I think we'll have a cutting edge engine. I think the biggest difference between us and what Turk is running is we'll have the iron block. Uh, but that's really recommended for durability. And we've got a number of races we have to compete with next year and, uh, we don't need to make 1700 horse. So um, we're we're shooting for eight fifties, not sub seven fifty. Yeah, time slips. So, yeah, very cool. Yeah, you have some serious names involved in uh, that vote. I'm really impressed. Um, as far as the heads that you were talking, you reached out to Whipple and Whipple's technical department. They got back to you. What did they say about the six point four based um, modern Hemi's? Um, so when I, I reached out to Nick Pacello uh, at Whipple Superchargers just with a couple of questions back when we were doing the, the vote because we saw that they were in the lead. Um, and so we basically just openly went to them and said, what head unit would you recommend? And when they got back to us, they recommended uh, the Edelbach Performer Heads, uh, which are kind of like a standard condition. They're very universal. 
Uh, and a lot of guys will end up using those because one, they don't want to damage the heads that they get from the factory because, you know, if they port and polish those and then they have to use them to go back to do, you know, emissions and they don't pass, that might be a problem. Um, so these guys get them because they're kind of a cheap alternative instead of buying Thytex or, you know, um, a couple, there's a couple other companies, but they recommended that. And then they also recommended if we wanted to use the stock heads that came um, with the 6.4 block, they recommended this place I had never heard of before called uh, Frankenstein Engine Dynamics. And they had a porting service there that was, it was about the same price as actually buying the Edelbrock Performer heads new. Um, but they would, they were willing to work with uh, a lot of the, you know, aerodynamics of the port work and, you know, kind of working with your custom build versus kind of just giving you generic numbers based on what they've done in the past. So they were very open to taking the numbers that we were willing to give them. And you can actually check out their site. They they do list that they're basically um, open to suggestions. So if you say that you're going to be using a Whipple supercharger, they'll do the research to help you to figure out what you exactly you need um, to make the most out of what you have. Very cool. Yeah, I keep hearing about the third generation Hemi and how great the heads flow um even with that first uh the first generation of the third generation hemi if that makes sense like mm -hmm. the, the really early ones i hear that you know they as the years progress they just keep getting better and better and we see that with the horsepower numbers and the quarter mile numbers um i'm really curious where do you guys see the power for the dart pack where do you think that's going to end up being at so my target is uh probably a peak of 1400 uh before 7600 rpm which is pretty incredible i mean if you think of the numbers but um given that we'd be running ethanol given that we can deal with pretty wild camshaft profiles and that we'll have an extensive amount of head work done and we can get away with you know pretty crazy compression you know we we have that flexibility um, because street worthiness is really a secondary factor. We're yeah. willing to deal with what it takes to make it um, street worthy for the purposes of being able to take it to shows. But it's a track-based car. So like Troy Aves, we'll be running, you know, a 16-gallon E85, um, E98 tank, you know, mixed at the pump for street use. And then we'll be running Ignite you know, 112, 114 for the track. So that'll require a ball valve bypass and a three gallon additional fuel cell for the track. But, um, you know, so the complexity of it allows us to be able to get away with those things. A lot of guys don't care about that, but we really want this car to be kind of an icon for if you're going to build a killer dart. And even like you said, for the people that are out there to do these no prep events or these X275 events, we really want to build something that's going to be a fantastic example for what they can, what they can copy. Uh, but, you know, to, to Matthew's point, um, one thing that we're factoring in, in the build is a budget, right? And so Thytech heads, uh, Whipple supercharger, BGE block, uh, rotating assembly by Arrington, but we also have to figure out um, how to make the budget fit for the whole car. Because if you remember, my target for the build was to give a person who may have an A body a $45,000 budget to make an 850 car that is streetable. Um, the budget right now I've got worked out to be about 60,000, but that's because there's 
paint labor. Um, I've got some muddy and metal work, a fiberglass front end. Um, you know, there's there's ways to be able to cut cut corners to get items used to be able to find some savings. Um, you know, that's also allotting twelve thousand dollars for the rolling shell and glass. So we're also, I guess, you know, I I say that to say that we're trying to also figure out what the budgeting aspect of this will be so that when we actually do the build, we're being cognizant of not just picking the best parts that most people wouldn't be able to fix uh, or pick. And if we can get away with using a cheaper cylinder head, uh, we may consider that based on what the, the final budget numbers are from the build uh, that the shop recommends. Yeah, when you talk about, you know, your projections of 1400 horsepower, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, third generation Hemi Whipple supercharger, well over a thousand horsepower. I'm thinking to myself, well, that competes right with the engine that everybody, you know, coveted the most in the past year. And that was the Elephant. Mm -hmm. So what you're telling me is that, you know, I don't necessarily have to wait for Mopar to get stocked up on those Elephants. I can essentially copy this build Mopar project copy the engine plan and have more power correct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah the difference being that you know mopar puts a, a warranty yeah. right on their engines ours is going to come with a multi-thread warranty whipple sure. has their own the engine shop would probably have a twelve thousand mile warranty if i'm not mistaken the elephant has a 336 on it so they've actually you know they're I, i'm sure the elephant is capable under different fuel uh, calculations and boost to be able to make the same numbers. Um, I, the IHI blower, from what I understand, is large enough to do it, but it's a it's a down-tuned version so that it'll live because they know that people are going to go out there as, you know, crate motor buyers and drop them in a car and yeah. flog them to death, and they want them to, to live. But I, I definitely think with fuel changes and the correct fuel tables and the right DA that they're all capable of probably the same, but ours is going to be a, a proven package, a dynode package down to the part number, down to the dollars and cents of balancing the crankshaft. So people will be able to duplicate it. They'll be able to go to the same shops and do the same thing we did. Awesome. Now I know that I speak for some of the crazy guys out there. I know there's some Mopar guys listening to this and they're going, okay, I'm just going to copy the engine. I'm going to drop it in my old, my old duster uh, how much for just if somebody just wanted to copy the exact engine you know forget the transmission forget all the stuff that you obviously are going to need but for those crazy people out there that just want to know how much is that engine going to cost you know because they're thinking right now they're thinking okay thousand horsepower supercharged hemi or the elephant this one's going to have a little bit more power may not be as streetable obviously you know more complicated warranty where are you guys at as far as money on the engine itself so the so the engine subgroup um that we've put together in, in the published online budget it is the errington 426 long block uh which is about a twelve thousand dollar package a fuel system uh that's fuel cell to the front of the car which is about 1200 um where the tricky stuff gets is what type of intake and what type of customization you want for the head unit and the head. So I'm going uh, down the route of Holly Terminator EFI and HyperSpark Ignition 
uh, or ProFlow EFI. So I've looked at sort of both of those. And then of course the head unit is is the big money is the money difference, right? Uh, if you get into a race uh, kit with Whipple that doesn't require a fuel system, it's not built for a Hellcat. It's actually a a head unit and pulleys. You know you're in in the few thousands range. But if you want to buy a uh, a non tuner kit, if you want to buy a Hellcat kit and start there, you're looking at something like eighty five hundred. So what I would say is a, a safe bet is probably you know, supercharger to pan with headers, you're probably looking somewhere between 18 and, and 20,000. It can be done for less um, because there are parts that you can pull together. I mean, you can go out and get a, a BGE block that's seasoned out of a truck. You know, you can use different cylinder heads that flow the same numbers. Um, you can find a used Hellcat intake and just get a, the Whipple head unit. There's a lot of ways to cut, but if you're going to buy brand new, you're probably looking at at that amount. And, and that actually does represent, um, short of the body and the car itself and the paint that you'll put into it, it's the largest investment, uh, which is why with Ready Chassis, we want to offer rolling chassis because we figure, I figure that there's going to be a lot of guys out there that have Hellcat, Hellcat red eyes, and they, you know, they want to maybe put their car back on the street and enjoy it. And they've got this crazy driveline that they'd put in something else. And what, what a better place to put it in than a vintage, uh, you know, fully aftermarket uh, car that's a tribute to the Hearst Dart. Um, they could be made out of a 68, you know, 67 to 69 chassis with an emblem change in the right seats. I mean, almost anybody can build one. All of the parts are out there. So, but that's my answer. I'd say, you know, it's south, south of 20,000, but you're also talking about a very stout, powerful engine um, that that'll probably be the last engine you'll need to buy uh, for quite a few years because it's only going to, the aftermarket's only going to get better for the parts that are out there. Definitely. It's funny that you mentioned that because that was my next question I was going to lead into. Okay. We've got the supercharged Hemi. We got four digit horsepower. We're actually so far based on what you're telling me, we're actually cheaper than the elephant. This sounds like a bargain. How reliable, how more, more importantly, how durable is this combination going to be? So it's interesting with the BGE block and a lot of the, you know, if you go with something like a Molnar crank H beam rods and a really solid piston set with some gas porting, I mean, you can get away with a lot. These, these engines, the alloy that the cylinder heads are built with, um, the, the airflow design, like you had mentioned in the heads, um, in this particular engine that we're going to offer, um, we're going to do 16 smart coils. So you'll have the ability to really tune ignition curves. Not that they would be all that different from engine to engine, but depending on exhaust system and frame, uh, you know, the, the length of the header tubes and things like that, there is some variables. But um, I mean, I think it'll be indestructible so long as people don't get crazy with fogger nitrous kits uh or if they don't do really good jobs of you know checking their ethanol rates i mean if they go i mean technically this this can be an e85 engine it's just that the pump e85 can have such a variability that you can get detonation if you're running crap fuel and that's when you start breaking parts so that's why the the plan for us is to race on on the ignite uh ethanol but uh, for street driving, we can throw in a mild tune. 
turn the engine back to 600 horsepower and drive it on the street with no problem at all. And it'll still be pretty wild. Yeah, that's that's really exciting because, I mean, that much power on tap, you know, turning it down to be able to drive it on the street. So it's still, you know, reasonable. So you could still, you know, go get some milk at the grocery store or whatever. And then on Saturday night, go have a good time. That's one thing that I've been noticing. And for me, I... I'm not a scientist. It seems to me like to get involved and really serious about drag racing these days, you have to get really technical. It's not like the old days where, you know, it was so grassroots. You got grassroots guys that are just throwing turbos and nitrous on things and running unbelievable times. So it's really interesting to me to see where the third generation Hemi platform is going and how quickly it seems like it's advancing. Maybe I just haven't been into the third generation Hemi's that long, but it seems to me like the more time that passes, the closer we get to having that same respect as the LS platform, which is what I want to say. I, I'm waiting for the day that finally the Hemi's are cheap enough where everybody wants to Hemi swap everything. That would be nice. Is Are you guys seeing the same thing as sure. far as the third generation sure. Hemi's? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, a, it's really a matter of time. I mean, if you think about the things that Mopar has done, um, you know, since the beginning, right? And then even in the 90s, they went back to Tom Hoover and they said, you know, if you're going to build this engine, if you're going to build a hemispherical head design again, how, you know, how would you do it so that it lasts and, and so that it's not a, a rare piece like the the original 426 was because you know you got to remember the 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 426 hemi was a replacement for the wedge yeah and it was originally a nascar design design motor actually wasn't intended for drag until garlitz gave it the jj twist or whatever it was <laughs> when when he got threatened and threw 50 degrees of timing yeah. and got an eight second pass out of it <laughs> i forget what it was that he called it but uh but uh, you know, I think they threw a lot more engineering into it, and and it's and it's obvious to me that with things like the Elephant, with the advent of the Super Stock, we saw it with the Demon. Um, you know, they've built these things to be, uh, for lack of a better word, beat to hell, in the desert in cold weather, uh, with pump gas, and that's a that's a pretty broad range of uh, discipline that they've built it for. So. If they're willing to warranty a car that's out of the box, 804 horse <laughs> that runs on 93, that almost any idiot and any expert can get their hands on, uh, you know, that's a, a pretty, it's a pretty amazing thing that they've done. And I think that, um, at, as you said, I think as they become more available in quantity, I really think that the LS market is going to get shadowed. Uh, by the availability. I think the toughest part, and, and it's funny, I had this conversation with Troy Aves. I actually said, so what's the what's the one downside that you see to uh, the Hemi market? And he said, it's, it's the amount of changes that came from year to year in the way that the, the VVT and the cam profiles and the different cylinder heads, which were adaptations to make the cars better on the street, better, yeah. better vehicles. He said, it's more homework for the person who wants to get started. However, he said the aftermarket is getting much better at offering parts that support that. So that's going to become a non-issue. 
And I think when that becomes a non-issue, I think the LS market has a challenge. I think they'll always have quantity. Chevy always has quantity. Uh, but I think I think the Hemi everything is going to be a movement that will be a lot of fun. And we'll see Hellcat engines and Helifin engines and aftermarket, you know, you know, combobulations in some of the craziest things. I mean, what we saw it in a Grand National recently, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. Yeah, I'm going to start throwing out challenges to people just based on the fact that I don't have the money, but there's a lot of cars and trucks that I would love to see modern Hemis in. One of them, one of my favorite, this is going to piss a lot of Mopar people off, one of my favorite vehicles of all time just because of what it was, um, were, I should say, were the Cyclone and Typhoon, the GMCs. I always thought they were awesome, just the whole you know, all-wheel drive turbocharged V6. Sure. I thought it was really cool with the 700 R4, you know, it just ahead of their time. If you ask me, you know, following right on the tail end of that Grand National and the Buick T types, I would love to see someone just bastardize a Cyclone or a Typhoon and put a supercharged Hemi in it. Um, so that's a challenge to anybody out there listening. I, I'm sure. I mean, I've always heard if you can think of it, somebody's already done it. So maybe somebody's out there right now, Hemi swapping a Cyclone or a Typhoon. That would be pretty cool. But I really, if you ask me, I think a lot of it is the money. Every time I look at Hemis, it seems like they're more expensive than LSs. But, you know, I talked to Blake Anderman from DIY Hemi, and he's telling me that you can get just a block for a few grand. So it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to, you know, I look at companies like Cleveland uh, Power and Performance where they have like um, the crate engines and the and the takeouts from uh, rebuildables or, or salvage vehicles, I mean. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I could go that direction, you know, if I want to, you know, keep things a little tame, you know, and just drop in a stock, maybe throw some bolt-ons in. But if I want to go for a full build, I could just go buy a block and just start with the block because, you know, with the 6.4s, I always hear that the first thing you want to do if you for a boost application is you want to get um uh you want to upgrade the rotating assembly mm -hmm. so yeah forge pistons yeah forge yeah that's the word i was looking for just brain fart um but it's definitely interesting i you know i can never say it enough how excited i am to see the whole hemi movement develop because you know it seems like every time i open facebook there's somebody out there doing something crazy like we were just talking about the 1700 or the 1400 horse 1700 horsepower that was just insane to me. And thinking about that, it's like, okay, where is the limit on these things? And that's what I'm really excited about the build Mopar project is, you know, that was my question was what is the limit? You know, and I like, sure. I like that we're staying true and keeping it at 426. I think that's awesome. Now, why not bigger than 426? I'm sure there's a lot of people out there going, why, why did they stop at 426? Sure. Well, it, because the, um, the power adder uh, is, and the ethanol uh, combination is such an efficient um, and capable system that the cubic inches really aren't required. Now, the other thing is, is although the block, the, the lower, uh, you know, the, the main caps, uh, the block design was really made to hold an incredible amount of power. It's very rigid. It's nothing. Uh, e even like the 426 Hemi, uh, the Gen 2, it's, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a complete generational upgrade. Um, you know, the, the hardest part is, is 
you know, keeping it livable. And when you get north of 400 and oddly enough, 440 cubic inches, <laughs> you start getting into crank throw um, rod ratio differences that just don't have an advantage. And in fact, um, with the right, um, you know, ethanol, with the right fuel mix, uh, cubic inches actually start to essentially hurt um, fuel tables and some other things. Uh, you know, the, 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 the actual forecast that we were given from a, a, an optimal cubic inch was around 410 cubic inches. Really? Uh, but I, I wanted to keep the 26, not only because the piston choice is cheaper, um, but uh, <clears throat> it's just, you know, part of that legacy. I think it makes the car a lot more popular and um and it's kind of a uh a throwback to you know what the what the original car was made with. People will know that it's the same cubic inches, but it's really the technology that's making the difference which such with such crazy numbers. Although the Gen 2s were not shy <laughs> by any means. They were pretty wicked, especially given that they were running through two AFB carburetors and you know a, a dual plane and i mean it's just it, incredible what they were able to do then but we've really got it beat now and that's you know that just speaks to the legend of the elephant you know i was thinking yeah. about that the other day i'm like gosh you know they didn't have whipple back then <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah yeah it's just insane to think what they were doing with those cars and you know i i need to dig into a little bit more research because as the build mopar project started to develop and to be honest with you, from the get-go, as soon as you announced what cars they were going to be, for some reason, I was like, oh, it's got to be a Dart. I know it's going to be a Dart. I knew, I just, <laughs> I just had this feeling. And early on in the podcast, I said one of my dreams would be to see a super stock Dart with a modern drivetrain in it. So this is, this is like, you know, a wet dream for me. I, I'm excited about this. So um, going back to the old school stuff, you know, who would have thought that years later, you know, you could probably still, I would like to see you guys put that car, you know, as like an exhibition. I would love to see the build Mopar dart versus, you know, an old um, super stock dart. That would be, sure. that would be really fun. Um, sure. Now you guys are going to debut this car next year at the Modern Street Hemi Shootout. Do we have a date yet for that? Do you have a, a projected date? So the uh, the first race, um, according to what I know of what Dan Van Horn has published, the first race is at uh, No Problem Raceway in the March time frame. So uh, we will be testing and tuning probably weeks uh, before that first race. So I would say that that first race is going to be, I wouldn't say it's going to be our shakedown passes, but it's going to be the first debut of of um a dialed in tune and um you know some of the fit and finish work you know depending on how things go this winter uh you know might even be entering in but i mean you know chassis work uh engine build transmission stuff all of that i can get arranged really quickly in the january time frame i've already given heads up to a lot of shops the stuff that we've picked um because we're using a stock floorboard um, although the suspension choice will be an open, you know, vote, I think people will probably either pick a four link or a ladder bar. I don't think anyone will be nuts enough to go for a leaf spring or a cal track, but there'll be options because, you know, I've been surprised already. I mean, I didn't yeah. think that the, 
I didn't think the turbo, to be honest, I didn't think it was going to lose. And to see it come in, you know, much further down the line, the Kenny Bell was much further down the line. The nitrous option didn't even make 10 votes. I mean, I, I've been surprised so far, so I guess I probably won't be surprised when it comes to the other options. But we'll make it work. And uh, the first debut, you know, we'll probably have some test passes down in Atlanta in February. We'll have to go south to to get those down. Maybe even Rockingham will make the drive and get the shakedowns done. Unless, of course, the weather is great in Chicago and Great Lakes gives us a private day. Um, but that'll be when it's out. Um, but to, to go back um, one step, I, I wanted to tell you one of the options we had thought about after uh, Dart Pack is finished is we wanted to come up with a, a concept called Hemi Anything, where we were going to take a 5.7 out of a charger and bolt it onto things like lawnmowers, generators, <laughs> uh, wood wood choppers. I mean, if if we can bolt the bell housing to something, we figured, why don't we put a Hemi in it? And then, of course, you know, insane cars like a front-wheel drive Eldorado, you know, a, a front a rear-wheel drive Mazda. I mean, whatever we could get our hands on, we figured it'd be a fun YouTube series. And I'm sure someone will steal my idea, but of course they have to have the knowledge and the, the know-how to do it. But we thought about that as a kind of a fun thing. You know, a chainsaw with a 5.7 Hemi. I mean, that would be dangerous, but it would be fun. You're insane, Chuck, but that's why I like you. And <laughs> um, Hey, People can try to steal it, but it was said here on Talking Mopars, so you know that's, you that's just as good as a trademark or a, a patent or a, <laughs> a copyright, whatever you want to call it. Um, sure. No, that's that's awesome, and like you know, I want to see every I, I want to see everything under the sun get Hemi swap because I mean everybody's putting LSs in everything, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah. So it's only fair that the Hemi gets some love, and I think that, and I'm gonna say this until this podcast is gone and done. And that's that it will always be cooler to say that you have a Hemi over oh, yeah. an LS. I will argue Absolutely. that to anybody on this planet. <laughs> it's always cooler to say you have a Hemi. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm really excited. You guys are going to be ready for that modern street Hemi shootout. I've, are there? So you're going to be in the 850 class. I want to hear some predictions. What do you guys think the first runs are going to be? Uh, from my experience, we'll probably shake down at tens. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to have to make a 999 pass to get my NHRA license. So we'll have to make three licensed passes under the watch of the NHRA. So we'll probably have to go down to India unless of course 66 is open, uh, which is why I was saying maybe we'll have to do Rockingham, but we'll have to make our license passes for me to get my license. And then uh, as we get to tune in, I think we'll probably get in the high eights. But with the power level we've got, it'll be, I, I personally think it'll be easy to break out. I mean, the index is 850, but um, I think we can get, I think we can get to 820s, 80s without a problem. I think it'll be us dealing with the weather and having the flexibility to pull power out of the car to get to the 850. Um, but, you know, it's funny. We were at the track, you know, we've gone, I think, six times in the last uh six weeks no not six weeks last two months uh, and, and i'm watching some of these hellcats and i'm i'm watching some of these cars in fact we saw a supra uh do a 70 or a 69 at 208 and i just i mean we were standing right next to the starting line and i'm watching these cars and i'm going man 
That's fast. I mean, I've gone 880s in a dragster. <laughs> I did Frank Hawley's drag racing school as my uh, my 18th birthday gift. I begged my parents to that let me uh, awesome to go down and do that. But um, but I've been in you know eight and nine second cars in my life, and it's in, in a full bodied car. It's a different experience, but uh, it's fast. I mean, no bones about it. Making mistakes can get pretty wild at the top end. So yeah, that so boys and girls, you can't just jump in an eight second car think you're going to go racing at the track you might get one pass in and then you're going to get booted you definitely need an <laughs> nhra license um uh, you know there's a lot of people myself included that don't know that entire process so for somebody that doesn't know about getting licensed to race nhra tell me a little bit about that sure so the nhra has uh, a rule where they will license you that you have to make uh, three passes in the time zone that you plan on racing. So if you if you need a uh, if you're going to run 9:50, for example, uh, you need and you need an NHRA license. Uh, so what they'll do is they'll have you show up. Um, you actually let the tower know that you're there uh, for licensing passes. They actually give you a uh, if you ever see a car with LIC written on it, that's a person who's making license passes. And uh, what they're looking for is to make sure that, you know, you abide by the rules, that you act safely, and that you make three uh, complete full motor passes uh, under the watchful eyes of the NHRA tech in the zone that you're trying to run. So if you want to go 990 or faster, you 999 or faster, you have to have an NHRA license. And uh, that's kind of how it works. I don't know if you have to pay for it. I think I do think there's like a $60 fee. And I do know that you have to be an NHRA member so you get like you know national dragster or whatever it's i think that's like a 60 or 50 or 60 dollar membership per year so you have to at least have that but uh, i mean it's a process but it's actually pretty easy they just want to see you do it three times under the clocks and that you don't run anybody over and that you don't exceed you know speed limits in the pits and then once once it's you've got it i think it's good for three or five years it's kind of like seat belts you have to renew it but uh -huh. uh, they just want to make sure that you're if you're going that fast that you know what you're doing. That's cool. Matt, you better get your NHRA license because guess what? I'm going to get mine so that if Chuck calls in sick the day that car is supposed to go down the track, Chris has his license. <laughs> <laughs> Got two backups. There no, you go. That's uh, that's really cool, man. I, I, I always wondered about that because, you know, I've never been in anything fast. Um, so... I've always wondered, you know, what does it take to get into something fast? You know, if you had something fast or access to something fast, I imagined that you couldn't just jump in and go for it. Cause I've seen even it like the high school drags back when I was a kid watching these kids try to figure out what to do. You know, it seems like yeah. a lot of people think you just go and you just line up and when the light is green, you go. So it's really funny to see, real amateurs that really don't have any idea what they're doing go down the right. track. So I'm glad that there is some structure because I still freak out when I think about the amount of power that some of these cars from dealerships, from showroom floors have that anybody can go and buy. <laughs> it just boggles my mind that somebody can go buy a supercharged, even just a Hellcat, <laughs> you know, and with, yeah. with no experience driving something powerful. Um, that's a very scary thought to me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Matt, let's let's bring you in for a little bit. I want to know 
what you think the car is going to do. Where do you see the project going? What what do you want to see the project end up being? I'm really curious what you have to say about it. So right around the time that I started doing some uh, some research about the head work, I did a little bit of basic math to basically figure out, you know, if the car was at a similar weight to Troy Eve's car, so if it ended up anywhere between, you know, 2,800, 2,700 pounds, how much horsepower do we need to get into that range of 850s? And um, it turned out that when I did the math, you know, despite density altitude, despite the weather, despite, you know, the surface you're racing on, uh, we really only should need somewhere around the 1200 horsepower range. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the information that I got from doing some basic math, but obviously there's a lot of other factors, as I've said. And so um, I think that going for the extra horsepower range, such as 1400, would make up for the difference in in case, you know, 1200 just isn't enough in some conditions and so um i think it would be more <laughs> i guess the best term for it is it'd be more epic for us to break out and go faster than the a50 index and to end up running you know not even up to our goal um because i think that a lot of people are who are watching us do this project so far are saying you know these guys are going to do it and they're crazy enough to be the first people the pioneers ahead of us you know we'll kind of follow in their footsteps and if they're going to continue to do this with other cars you know they'll be able to basically say, okay, this is what they did wrong, this is what they did right, let's follow the right footsteps, and then maybe eventually we can get this figured out, kind of the same way the LS guys do. And so, you know, I think, again, it's going to depend a lot on what people choose as far as tires are concerned, as far as traction is concerned. Um, you know, we do have to follow certain safety certifications and, and requirements because that's just what the NHRA has you do. Um, so, you know, we can't cut a roll bar out of the car. That absolutely has to be a part of our, our operation. Yeah. So, you know, we can't go commando and just run with a ratchet strap for a seatbelt. You go know? commando. So, I like um, that. <laughs> That's funny. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see where it goes. I think that, um, going higher horsepower, higher torque numbers will make up for the difference regardless of, you know, we run on a hot day, we run on a cold day or we can't get traction or we can. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, that, that's going to be pretty easy to do as far as um just going for the biggest number possible but not something that's going to be totally ridiculous at the same time awesome yeah a lot of people you know for a long time i didn't realize how scientific racing really could get you know when you talk about da and just the calculations you know when i was doing research on the ram chargers it was interesting to me to find out that there was one of those brainiacs sitting there making all these calculations and he was predicting how fast the cars were going to go you know, based on their combinations and stuff. So, you know, and you see yeah. that even on on TV or if you go to the racetrack and you watch the professionals, you know, there's always a laptop, you know, involved. So it's super technical and it really makes things interesting. Um, I'm really excited to see, you know, how easily you guys can get four digit horsepower to hook up depending on, you know, how this how these votes turn out, you know, and what kind of car ends up getting built. So that leads me into the question. I'm going to start with you, Matt. If you had your idea, like if, if the, if the votes went your way, how would you see this car being completed? You know, it's actually pretty funny, but, um, the way that everything has gone so far, I didn't have a lot of, um, secondary options other than maybe seeing the car get built with a turbo. Um, I guess that would be kind of cool just to see because all these cars come from the factory supercharged, um, or at least there's a factory option with a supercharger, but there is no turbo application. 
Um, but when it comes to the racing application, you see a lot of guys running turbos. And so it's going to be interesting trying to find that median because while the drag packs are in fact equipped with this Whipple supercharger, and that's kind of what we're going to hope to try and get our hands on, or at least the smaller version, which is the 2.9 liter versus the 3.0. Um, yeah, I, I think that seeing people running turbos versus a supercharger it would be cool to at the same time build a turbo car because we also have seen Troy Eves do that and he's proven that it works. So, I mean, otherwise, you know, again, with Opel Engineering, we were talking about him earlier and I think it would be cool to support his business because he's he's a little bit more local and we have done a lot of work with him and he's uh, he's been very helpful, not only in building the engines, but giving us guidance towards things and even when I showed up to his shop to learn about dyno stuff, he was um, very accepting of me not knowing a whole lot and wanting to teach me and my brother a lot of stuff about it because we're pretty young and we don't totally get that that exposure. You know, I get a lot of exposure from my dad at home, but for the most part, I don't really get that exposure um, of being at a shop and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of the stuff I do is pretty, you know, grassroots, a lot like drag racing that we're, we're trying to do here. So, yeah, I, I think that um, seeing Opel Engineering end up in that in that first place would be cool even though it seems at this point it would be a little unrealistic yeah he would need 70 something votes to oh, make up the difference, difference. <laughs> all right everybody listening to this podcast i am telling you right now stop listening if you're not going to vote on the build mope i don't know how you can't not want to take part in this it's so cool it's the first of its kind and you know i don't know how you wouldn't be interested to see how this project turns out and ends up um i i'm really surprised that the turbo didn't win too i was actually the crazy guy who's like i'm voting for the pro charger just because i i don't know why i had i was just on uh, a little pro charger kick there for a minute but to be honest with you after the power adder was chosen i completely accepted it and i thought it was very very cool i thought it was awesome and i think it's going to be perfect for this first build mopar project because let's hope that this is the first of many to come um Chuck, ideally, if this project, if there were no votes, and from this point forward you had your choice, how would you like to see Dart Pack set up? So, I mean, my my selection, my choices would really be um, if I could get a Mopar transmission in it, I'd love that. Uh, but I think the Turbo Four Hundred is going to win. Um, I think a ladder bar or a four link. Um, you know, I think that's going to be the choice that we'll need to make. Um, I think a smaller tire because we're, we're running a, a smaller, uh, wheel tub, um, would make the expenses a lot less, but if somebody wants to see a big fat tire under this car, then that's what the populace wants. Um, and you know, um, I, I think the wheel choices will be interesting too. But I mean, I've got my I've got my favorites. But to be honest, uh, I love all race cars, and uh, I, I'm just excited to see it come together. And I'm excited to start, you know, providing wearables, T-shirts, stickers, a lot of other things that I think we can do to raise money and and support the program. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm sure everybody's just dying to know what I think the car should be. Um, I. You know, I'm special needs. I think it needs to be leaf springs, small tire. <laughs> you know, I I said that when I when I fantasized about a super stock dart with a modern power plant that I would literally take a super stock dart 
and throw a modern Hemi in it and just see what kind of chaos could erupt from that combination. So that's what I'm riding with. And, uh, you know, for everybody listening, you just really have to, if you don't know about the Mopar project, the Build Mopar project, excuse me, go to buildmopar.com and just read up about it, about how far it's come so far. It's just, it's so cool. It's the only project like it out there, you know, where you can take part in helping Hemi Pages and Ready Chassis build this car, along with some of the best engine builders in the game. You know, who knows who's going to get chosen. I hope that I'm going to release this podcast early, um, earlier than Monday. I'm going to try to get it out uh, before the vote ends. Um, So hopefully we can uh, get some more numbers there. Um, I would like to know how, so Modern Street Hemi Shootout, that's where this car is basically going to make its maiden voyage as far as competition. How far into the future do you see yourselves competing with the Dart Pack? Well, that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting because, you know, we'll, you know, I wonder how competitive it will be. You know, it'll be the car, but it'll also be us. Um, if it's a real winner, I think we'll have to make the decision on you know, do we want to sell it and give somebody else the joy of owning it and build another, uh, maybe based on a different chassis like a duster? Or do we continue to campaign it uh, for our own purposes and build another? Um, but of course, that would be pretty expensive to continue to maintain, you know, two <laughs> or three cars. So I think it'll be it'll be more of a decision as to what the public, you know, thinks. Um, I actually had a crazy idea of starting an S corporation and putting the title of the car in the S corp and allowing people to buy essentially stock in the car. Um, so if they, you know, if they bought $10 worth of stock, uh, but they did their own version of marketing the car, they could drive the value of the stock up. So every person that owns a share in stock, if they do their own version of promoting the car, they would increase essentially the value of the car um, and the company that owns it uh, because I could put it in a separate S corporation. And then, uh, and then people could actually be shareholders in, uh, in the vehicle itself. We toyed around with doing something like that. So, um, you know, I, I've got a couple of ideas up my sleeve, but um, I think we're going to, we're going to flog it pretty good in 2021. And uh decide at the end of the season if maybe we want to do a an auction after something like SEMA um, or, you know, carry on and continue to campaign it with different drivelines. But uh, we'll certainly be making more of them. And I think um, once the instruction manuals and the parts kits get out there uh, and we start to work with and find out where the weak links are, that that'll only make the program even better. So. We're pretty excited about it. Yeah, I, I keep thinking about Ready Chassis and how cool <laughs> that idea is. And Matt, real quick, it must be really interesting being Chuck's son because I imagine he's coming up with all these crazy ideas all the time and you're just like, okay, Dad, my dad plays the same. <laughs> my dad never would say anything cool like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, it's so funny because that is one of the most relatable statements I've ever heard about my own dad. It's like... <laughs> The fact that he, it's really cool because he comes to me with some of the, you know, half the ideas. You're like, where did you even get this from? And, you know, but they're, 
like you said, he's insane, but he's genius because a lot of the things that he says, you're like, how could that work? And then when he explains it to you, you're like, oh my God, that's, you know, how come nobody's ever thought of doing something like that? And it's probably just because of his complex way of thinking. But, but yeah, it's, it, it's really cool because, you know, it'll, there's some Monday mornings where I'm sitting down eating breakfast and he's like, what if we did this? And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's, I feel like I'm doing rocket science with him half the time without having the knowledge of being a rocket scientist, but man, they say crazy and genius is only uh, a hair away from each other. So he's dealing with a crazy person. Yeah. I'll say the, you know, in all seriousness, Chuck is just a serial entrepreneur. And if you know anyone (laughs) like that, you can't shut it off. You're always having That's to, true. the difference between me and Chuck is I'm afraid of what people will say about my crazy ideas. So it's good for me to have a friend like Chuck who says all these crazy ideas. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yes, do it, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you need, buddy. <laughs> um, no, that's uh, I'm super jealous of you, Matt, because if my dad because I'm I'm number one cheerleader, I would. Yes, dad. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> you know, so that's that's awesome. It, I think it's really cool that you guys as father and son are kind of spearheading this whole thing. That's just so cool to me and a testament to, you know, the future generations of not just Mopars, but just, you know, gearheads in general. Um, the, the, you know, not to get political, but I get scared every time we start talking about climate change and stuff and politics, because I'm like, please don't take, please don't take gasoline powered engines from us, please, (laughs) you know? Um, but future generations, man, Matt, you now are a freelance writer, correct? Matt, can you hear me? Can you guys hear me? Oh, oh, I can hear you now. You broke up a oh, little bit. Uh, Matt, you're a freelance writer now, correct? Yes. I know that there's some people out there that maybe do a little freelancing of their own. Maybe there's some young people listening to the show right now that would love to get into writing um, in you know, automotive journalism. How did you go about doing that, and what has your experience been like so far? <laughs> so it's really funny. We, uh, we, I went on a Power Auto Media site, if you're familiar with them. Uh, they own quite a few different magazine titles and I was just kind of perusing through what they had to offer. I went into the the tabs on the top of the page and found this tab that says write for us. And I've been kind of pursuing writing for, you know, Hemi pages, for example, I've been doing quite a few articles. Um, and when I saw that and it was an opportunity to kind of have a contract versus employment, I was like, you know what, this works good. Cause I'm going to be going into college and I'm going to want to be able to work something out with my schedule. And so I just decided to take it on. Um, And it's actually been, you know, for anybody who is aspiring to do something like this, I'd say it's a very good experience because it allows you to work with a flexible schedule if you're a busy person. Um, The editors are all very supportive, at least for Power Auto Media. Um, And that is usually the case with a lot of people because this is what they do for a job. And so they try to provide the best feedback they can. But uh, yeah, I definitely would say that for anybody who is trying to start their writing career or maybe just spread out what they do a little bit as far as writing concerns uh yeah definitely just go for it if you know if you want to try and reach out to places like hot rod magazine which is what i did um i haven't heard anything back but because i've written some stuff i'm hoping that the publications can kind of further me into the working world and get me kind of a career in writing and and journalism because that's what i'm trying to major in college in anyways so awesome yeah i was going to ask you if that was uh you know, one of your aspirations, or if that was just something you were dabbling in. That's very cool. And, you know, truth be told, 
I don't tell too many people this, but some people that have paid attention to my work as the Mopar hunter would know that for a split second in time, a very small second in time, I wanted to be an automotive journalist. And, you know, that was a dream that I had ever since I was a kid reading car magazines. But when I started the Mopar Hunter, I got the, you know, the domain, the MoparHunter.com. And I was like, I'm going to start a blog and I'm going to use that as basically my portfolio that I can shop to, you know, magazines like Hot Rod, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, I quickly realized that I'm not the best writer, even though I thought I was. <laughs> I thought I was pretty good. And then I realized, nah, I, I can barely even talk. I don't even know how I have a podcast. <laughs> so writing was completely off the table. This works out a lot better for me. But I am glad that there's still young people out there getting involved because the magazines when they started to die last year, I was heartbroken because that was, you know, my foundation of my love of cars aside from my dad getting me into it was just, you know, feeding it with car magazines, just feeding the addiction, feeding the addiction. So I'm happy that things are moving still towards a digital side of it because when you're a magazine hoarder, like I am, um, you know, eventually you run out of room. <laughs> so, uh, it's very cool that you're getting into um, writing. Let's get into Hemi Pages real quick. How is that? Because you guys launched Hemi Pages at the beginning of this year or, or the first quarter. Um, I think our first chat was April to midway through April, and you guys mm -hmm. were just getting ready to launch. How has that gone yeah. so far? You know, it's good. Uh, the, some of the challenges that we've run into is just getting people to cooperate and and do things like claim their listings, which I really didn't think would be a problem. Um, you know, I think, you know, offering the ability for people to get a free listing um, is making it almost too easy. So we're going to be coming out with a couple of packages to incent people to buy. But we're new and, you know, our, our traffic is continuing to grow. Um, but we're new. So it's just one of those things where you know, we've never been heard of. Our, we're continuing to grow traffic. We're continuing to do more interesting things. Bill Mopar's certainly been a very helpful uh, campaign piece that we've been able to launch. But it's good. It's uh, it's fun. I, you know, we're going to be doing a print version uh, very soon. Um, and I think getting out to some of the events uh, will be will be pretty exciting. It's been challenging just because it's been such a busy year and then everything with COVID uh, and, you know, Matt's in school, uh, you know, different lifestyle scenario and, and we wanted to go racing. So there's a lot of competing factors, but, um, I, th I think it's going to continue to get better and better over time. And I think people will realize that, uh, what we're trying to do is something that's never been done before and should be really helpful to the aftermarket. Absolutely. Um, first of all, the website's beautiful. Uh, hemipages.com. I can't say that enough. Go check it out. And, you know, you guys are still on the... The whole Hemi swap everything and the whole Hemi, the third generation Hemi movement, although the name Hemi has been around forever, I still think that this third generation Hemi movement is in its infancy. So anybody getting in on that ground floor like Hemi Pages or, you know, DIY Hemi or any of those guys, you know, I think position perfect because it's only going to blow up more than, I mean, there's only one way to go and that's up. And 
while we're on the subject of Hemi pages, I did want to promote listings. You have classifieds on Hemi pages. What would it take for me if I wanted to liquidate all my Mopars right now? What would it take for me to get my Mopars listed on Hemi pages? So, so our classifieds entry is uh, currently free. Um, at the end of the year, we're going to be uh, charging, but you can get multiple photos, uh, listings, and SEO optimization uh, just by placing a classified. And we've got a lot of different categories for people to be able to list. So, um, you know, we've done a reach out. We've had, oddly enough, a, people, a lot of people putting up Hemi cars. So I think... <laughs> You know, they're not thinking maybe that we're all Mopar. So we've got to do a little bit better of a job sort of explaining that. But, uh, you know, they're available and um, such as other things, too. Articles, you know, we're we're willing to have writers uh, get involved and get published, uh, w willing to work for people that want to donate content. So um, I'm kind of, kind of still waiting for some of that to pick up. We've done a lot of outreach. And everybody was really excited at first. And then it kind of became like maybe we were just like the rest, you know. So we're, we're continuing to try to find ways to differentiate and, and get the attention and noise of, of a lot of folks. But uh, it is continuing to grow in traffic. And, and I think, uh, you know, as the winter uh, arrives and people get more into projects and they've definitely got things to clear out that we'll see an increase in that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Um... I never really thought about it until right now, but maybe I'll submit some writing and see what you guys think about that. I'll have, yeah, I'll have Matt check yeah. it out first just to make sure like, <laughs> hey, Chris, maybe stick to the podcast, you know? <laughs> but uh, no, I, 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 I have a couple good ideas. We'll see. We'll, we'll roll the dice. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anybody listening, hemipages.com, go there, check it out. You know, it, if anything, just go see what it's about, you know, and if you're a business you definitely want to be listed on Hemi Pages. It's it's prime real estate, if you ask me. I mean, go to Hemi Pages right now and you'll see a talking Mopars banner. That's there for a reason. Not just because Chuck and Matt and myself are good friends, but you know, there's even if we weren't good friends, I I wanted to when I started this podcast, I was like, okay, I gotta figure out some sort of advertising, you know, for this thing, because I can't really expect people just to listen based off of Facebook. You know what I mean? So the power of advertising on websites is still there. And, you know, especially with when you're talking about organizing the aftermarket and getting all these companies as a, having a resource for people that want to build, like if I want to build, you know, an engine similar to the Dart Packs engine, I'll go to Hemi Pages and I'll look at all these companies and I'll be able to read reviews and see what other enthusiasts have to say. And, what Chuck was saying on one of our earlier interviews was, you know, levels the playing field because on social media, when you start, if, if you go on social media and you say, Hey, I want to build a 6.4 Hemi, you know, what, what do you guys suggest? Where should I start? You're going to get a million different opinions. And we all know what they say about opinions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some of them are not very good. So definitely go check out hemipages.com and also ready chassis. I would, I would keep my eyes on that one because as soon as I think uh, you guys are going to get that ball rolling next year sometime or the year after, I'd imagine you're going to wait until the dart pack dust has kind of settled down. Yeah. Yeah. We've actually gotten a number of uh, order requests. Really? Yeah. We, uh, we've been shopping for a larger shop. Uh, 
you know, which is interesting given all the other things that are going on. But uh, we're ramping up to be able to build a car a month. And I think uh, our target for that is going to be the January, February timeframe. So I'm, I'm hoping, as, as hopeful as I am to be able to get orders, um, we're still building one car already. It's a, an experimental car and uh, I'm turning over actually a lot of parts that we've gathered over the years as well. So I've actually got a lot of engines, exhaust systems, just a lot of stuff that's got to go. So our, <laughs> our used parts classifieds will be filled with that stuff as well. And nice. uh, you'll see the marketing when that comes out. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So the dart pack. We're going to assume that it's going to hit eight seconds, maybe even knock on the door seven seconds. It's going to have over a thousand horsepower. And the best part is, for me at least, it's a dart. <laughs> I love darts. <laughs> I'm an A body guy. I don't know if that's just because that's all I can afford or if I actually do love A bodies. I think I do have a little bit of love for them. Um, you know, modern Hemi. I mean, the list goes on of why the Build Mopar project is so cool and why you should participate. If you're listening to this, buildmopar.com, hemipages.com. Take it all in and definitely participate and vote today. Our vote right now is going for the engine builder. So how many choices are there? Six, four? Well, uh, what's left? Yeah, for, the, mean, yeah for the engine. Oh, no, for um, uh, this round of voting. Oh, there's six different okay, shops. So I thought six. And then the, there'll be uh, one, two, three, five more votes. We'll have the transmission vote. Front suspension, rear suspension, tire setup, and then what we're leaving is the mystery vote for the, the very last. And we'll release that after all the other ones are done. I'm excited about that one. Every, and I don't even know the secrets, so I'm right there with all of you listeners. I can't wait to hear about it. Um, it'll definitely be interesting to see, and uh, I'm going to keep saying this, what direction this car takes. You Because know, like I said earlier, I'm an old school guy. I would love to see it on some Craggers. <laughs> You know, I guess I guess we'll see how it all turns out. I'm really excited about it. Is there anything else that you guys want to talk about while I got you on the horn on a Tuesday no, night? No, <laughs> no, just appreciate you giving us the time. I think the one thing I wanted to mention, uh, why September 22nd yes. was an important day, oddly enough. And this is a, an inside thing amongst, you know, close friends. But uh, I grew up with a, a friend, a guy named Ed Seawick on uh, the south side of Chicago. And we went racing some point 1992 i think it was and uh we decided at that point that we would meet up every september 22nd at great lakes dragway and go racing until we were too old to do so and uh it's just always stayed in my mind it also stayed in my mind because i was dating a girl at the time and our our anniversary was september 22nd so of course our first anniversary i was at the track and she wasn't there so <laughs> And I go down as a day of infamy. But uh, Ed Seawick's still out there. He's part of my Facebook social network. He's got a 70 dart that's uh, Hemi Orange. And I know he keeps up with a lot of this stuff. So it's just a, it, it'd be a neat thing to be able to go and, and finally see that dream come true. I haven't seen the guy. He stood up in my wedding, but we haven't, we haven't seen each other in probably 20 years. Wow. Um, just, you know, life gets in the way kind of thing. And Facebook kind of keeps you in contact enough. So. Uh, it was a special day for me. It's just funny. It's it's uh, when when we picked this day, I thought, well, what the heck, you know? Um, it, it was a day I promised myself many years ago that we would try to do it. In fact, I even told 
Matt, that when we were at the track on the 18th, that it was pretty close to that day. And it was, you know, Chicago weather is always really nice at that time of the year. And sometimes it ends up on the weekends. And so, uh, you know, it's just a, a funny thing. He'll probably, he listens to the show. He'll probably hear that and chuckle to himself. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's the brotherhood, right? I mean, Absolutely. it started so many years ago and it continues today. So definitely a lot of fun. Um, how far out from Chicago are you guys? So we're in uh, Naperville. So we're about 40 miles west of the city. Cool. So we're we're about 30 minutes north of Route 66. We're about an hour south of, hour and a half south of Great Lakes Dragway. We're about an hour and 20 minutes from Byron Dragway. So we're pretty well placed amongst, we've got a lot of choices. Yeah, no kidding. Gosh, I'm jealous. <laughs> um, you know what? It just hit me when you were talking about Chicago. I was thinking about it and I was like, I, I've never been to Chicago. I don't know what it's like today but i think it would be kind of cool to get the build mopar the dart pack down to uh the corner of grand and spalding and do a photo shoot now i don't know what that neighborhood looks like today <laughs> but um have you have you ever been down by uh the old mr norms yeah yeah, yeah i have actually i don't think that would be unrealistic yeah, i think that if we did it on a sunday morning and cooler weather we'd have a an you know we'd have no problems at all and i think the dealership structure and everything else is there so God, that's, cool. that's a really cool idea. Is, I'm going to take that one down. That is a very cool idea. Good job, Chris. Yeah. Pat on the back. <laughs> no, awesome I just, idea. I just, it just hit me because that's one place, you know, that obviously has a very rich history with Mopars. And it, it really is heartbreaking when I, I've seen some of the current or, or more current pictures of the place. And it just, it kind of breaks my heart that it's not still a Chrysler dealership because that would just be you know, epic if Grand Spalding Dodge still existed. Um, yeah. But it definitely would be cool to get uh, a photo shoot of that car at the high-performance HQ of Mr. Norm. That would be very cool. Um, yeah, that's a great idea. Matt, before we take off here for the night, um, I want to make sure you let everybody know where they can see your writing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I write for two uh, magazines. If you want to check out the stuff that I do that's more drag racing related, you can check out streetmusclemag.com. Um, and if you're more into looking at some stuff that's just classic restorations, you can go to rodauthority.com. Awesome, awesome. How much work do you have over there so far? So far, I have two articles written for Street Muscle Mag, and I'm about to have my second article posted um, for Rod Authority. Nice, putting in that work. It, Man, my hat's off to you. I don't know how you do it all. You got college. You got your writing gigs. You got your crazy dad with all these crazy ideas. <laughs> um, but, yeah, man, I think you're on the right path. And uh, best of luck to you. Obviously, you're my friend, so we're going to keep in touch. And everything that I write, you're going to proofread. So, <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Got your back, Chuck. Anything Thank you you'd like to get off your chest before we ride off into the sunset? No, just uh, you know, Mopar or no car, and uh, appreciate you giving us the time, and look forward to continuing to see the votes. And as we head into the uh, election season, we'll also be ending Build Mopar, so it'll be fun to see how it ends up. Absolutely. Once again, HemiPages.com, ReadyChassis.shop. And if you want to check out the Build Mopar project, you can find it on Hemi Pages, but you can also go to buildmopar.com. How easy is that? Get your votes in. Let's get it. Let's get thousands. You know, let's get millions of people to vote for this thing. Um, the Dart Pack. How cool is that? I thought I think it's a great name. You know, modern Hemi, 68 Dart, Superstock Tribute Car, modern Hemi. 
<laughs> doesn't get any better than that. Folks, get your votes in today. That's it for Talking Mopar's direct connections with Chuck and Matt McMurray. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Chris. Take Thank care. You. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Direct Connections, this time with Chuck and Matt McMurray. These are my favorite episodes of the podcast, and there are plenty more to come with some familiar voices and some new ones too. Who knows? There may even be a video version of this show in the works, so stay tuned. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar-addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com or leave me a voice message on my voice mailbox at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. And don't forget to check out HemiPages.com, ReadyChassis.shop, and of course, BuildMopar.com. One last thing before we go, if you'd like to help support the show, jump on over to TalkingMopars.com, head on over to the store, and click Visit the Shop. There you're going to find all the current Talking Mopars merch like t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, stickers, and more. So not only are you going to get some cool stuff, but if you like the show, you're going to help me keep it running. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars Direct Connections. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.